Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast, where Dr. Joel Schwartz and I, Travis, discuss the intersection of faith and philosophy. We are part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Please visit our site at tacticalfaith.com, check out our blog, our other podcasts, and if you live in Alabama or nearby, we would love to see you at one of our events. If you'd like to help support our ministry, please pray for us, share us with your friends, and consider supporting us financially by going to the Donate tab on our page. Uh, today we're going to continue talking about uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, probably the most important philosopher of the 20th century, and uh, specifically his views on religious belief and how do we talk about religious belief. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, but uh, this is Travis. I'm Joel. And uh, here we go. So, Joel, last time we talked about uh, Wittgenstein's view of religious belief, and in some ways we found found parallels or places that he seems to be reflecting some of the stuff in Scripture. So we can talk about James' claim, uh, the book of James, where faith without deeds is dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus and what belief means in there. Um, and, uh, Wittgenstein had some really interesting things to say about how, uh, re- about the distinction between religious belief and beliefs about religion. Um, and, uh, what's interesting about the whole thing is that religious belief isn't simply affirming that certain facts are true, which means in turn that the goal of sharing sharing your beliefs with someone. So let's just say Christianity doing apologetics or in just sharing the gospel. It can't be merely about trying to convince someone that a certain set of facts are true. Right. But trying to convince them of what? Of a way of seeing the world, of a way of valuing, of, um, of putting something different in the center of, of what we value in the world um, and how we see the world. Okay, well that that seems a lot bigger than just trying to convince someone that a certain fact is true. And Wittgenstein has some to say about this, um, or maybe something to show us about this. So, <laughs> what what would Wittgenstein? So, if I went to Wittgenstein and said, you know, and I learned evangelism from Wittgenstein, how would he start off his class? Well, he he says at one point that. If um, we're trying to explain Christianity, what what it means to be a Christian, how if we try to explain that to someone who is outside of Christianity, and all we do is give you know arguments and just arguments, and and all we have are these 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 uh, propositional arguments. Um, more likely than not, it's going to look like a weak belief to that person. Um, right. Because you're going to be talking about things that um, there's not clear evidence for, uh, at least a lot of them. Um, there may be evidence that that might point in that direction, but not – I mean, we don't have any um, conclusive evidence that proves that Jesus – uh, raised from the dead, at least that someone who is not a Christian would would uh, say, oh yes, that, that proves that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, Wittgenstein says it, the way our life has changed is going to speak to people. Um, that it's going to say, 
well, hold on. Maybe there's more going on with these beliefs that initially seem weak. If this is changing the way that that this person lives a life, if, if there are certain things that this person does because of this belief that that's going to make them re-examine those statements, those propositional arguments um, in a way that they wouldn't if all they had was the arguments before them. Okay. So let me, let me, let me push you here a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, when I drew, when I grew up, it was uh, don't drink, smoke or chew or go with girls who do, um, which I mean, that's not exactly, but the idea is something like Christian. There are things Christians that the world does that Christians don't do. Is that what Wittgenstein is talking about? Um, is that what will make, so there's an unbeliever who, let's say, does drug, does illegal drugs. Um, that unbeliever hears me talk about the gospel and sees that I don't do illegal drugs. Is he, is he now convinced? Is that what convinces him? Is that what Wittgenstein is getting at? Or I, is there something more going on here? It, it it it's not simply a matter of you don't do certain things you do certain things but the way you do them the, the is is going to be different um it, it's um one one way to 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 think of this is um there's someone you know there are people who can talk about something and initially it looks like they might not like they understand what they're talking about but then when you start asking a little bit more you realize okay they don't really know what they're talking about so right like like if, like if someone were to able were able to ask us questions right maybe that or <laughs> or, or I, I am a diehard Cubs fan and after being married to me for 13 years my wife can talk some baseball but you start talking to her for more than a couple minutes and you realize she understands certain things, but there are certain things that she doesn't get. And frankly, she doesn't care to get. Um, right. And I understand that. But, um, but that's kind of uh, what it, you know, what it is. And, and um, you know, similarly with Christianity, you know, yeah, we can, we can not do drugs and not drink and all those kinds of things. But if that's what it means to be a Christian, if that's how Christianity changes our life, that doesn't seem like it's a very uh, deep or meaningful change to where there's there's something significant going on. Um, I mean, you, you know, it, when you think about, you know, for some for some jobs, you have to do a drug test before you um, get the job, and so you. Don't, you're not doing drugs, so you get the job, and then you get the job, and then you can start doing drugs again. And so the, the, the you know, the not doing drugs didn't have anything to do with changing what you valued. It, it, it had to do with some instrumental means. If, right. you know, is, is that what it's about for, as a Christian, if that's what our, what we do, if that's how our life has changed, is an instrumental purpose, that isn't what... Wittgenstein's getting at that. I mean, like we talked about in the last podcast with the rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus or rich man wanting, you know, someone to, or to send Lazarus back to his brothers. So to tell them to, uh, to repent, the repenting wouldn't be done out of 
a genuine change. It would have been done out of a change of, of where you're pointing your selfishness um, right. from the present to the, the future. So, so one of the, so let's, let's, uh, let's examine this a little bit and, and I, t- tell me if I'm, if I'm getting ahead here, but um, you, you talk about, about instrumental, the instrumental focus. So let's say my goal as a, in fact, I'm putting together a blog right now on this, um, even though by the time this thing gets published, that blog will probably be old news. But uh, um, let us say that that I'm sharing the gospel with someone, I'm, or I'm evangelizing to someone, and my emphasis, even in sharing the gospel, what they can see in my life, that I'm a fairly selfish person, and my goal is to is to get into heaven and to get out of hell. I want to avoid hell that is i want to avoid punishment and i want to get and i want to get reward and it's very evident and that's that's what i'm focusing on in fact i think that a lot of times when we share the gospel that's what we're emphasizing the avoiding of punishment and the gaining of reward are my values like clearly i have a different view of of the world than say an atheist who doesn't believe in the spiritual world doesn't believe in 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 this kind of stuff but are my values different or is our just my, do I just have different facts? Like how would Wittgenstein uh, analyze that? Or maybe how might an unbeliever respond to me if I appear so um, self, maybe, can I give another example? Let let me me throw another example. So, so some years ago I was talking to uh, a, a guy who had been married, a man who had been married for, for quite some time, probably 25, 30 years. Um, now his marriage had been in the dumps for most of that time. And his relationship with his wife was completely, they weren't sleeping in the same room. He had, I think a long-term mistress, so on and so forth. And I remember he, he came from a church that was rather legalistic and he was having a, he, for some reason he was asking me these questions. I don't, I think he was just looking for a way to get out of his marriage. But he he believed firmly that if he initiated a divorce, he would go to hell. And he was looking he was looking at me to try to convince him that that's not going to be the case. And it was very evident that he wanted his wife to initiate the divorce so he could be he just wanted to be out of the marriage. But he didn't want to initiate the divorce because then he would go to hell. He wanted her to go to hell. Yeah, he was fine with somebody going to hell as long as it wasn't him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and you look at it, and I, I was I kept talking to him. I said I kept saying to the guy, I was like, "Your relationship is destroyed. You've, I mean, yeah, you're not legally divorced, but man, you have done everything you can to pull yourself away from this woman." Uh, but I was tr- what I, I felt like I was speaking a different language to this man. I was like. You are creating a hell. You're living in sort of a hell way, you might say. Um, you're so focused on punishment, on punishment and reward that you're missing the whole point of of what's going on here. Um, I felt like if he were to share the gospel, or even his view of faith, was no different than the selfish man who runs about collecting more and more for himself and then dies. Right. His whole life is just about getting for himself and he dies. Just that this guy has added on another element of 
life. There's also life after death, and I need to I need to do what I can to get what I can then too. Right. Um, that doesn't seem to me a change of values. It's just a, it's just more facts. So uh, so I want to first be very clear that I think God meets us wherever we're at, mm-hmm. and we'll take the the uh, smallest seed and and work to cultivate it. Um, such that I'm my I'm not saying we have to um, that this change of value is what is like you have to get this far in order to actually be saved. Right. Um, right. So uh, let me first make that clear. Um, but on the flip side, um, well, we, we you mentioned this a little last time that we've kind of drawn distinction between salvation and sanctification. And uh, one of the things that Dallas Willard uh, would often point out is Jesus doesn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And disciples is is not this optional added bonus for the super holy, but that's what, what Christians are called to strive for. And so when, when we're talking about religious belief changing what you value, this is kind of where, where our – our life needs to be pointed. Um, not that we're there yet. Not that. Right. Um, not that we're necessarily even going to get all the way there, this side of the new creation. However, this this should be kind of where our our, our focus is, not um, not just on the. Um, well, I have the right right set of beliefs in my pocket that I can cash this in for, you know, right. for as as my fire insurance kind of thing. Um, well, this this might be also. I mean, and what, what we're what we're trying to get at here too, um, without without. I mean, I we we might be running the risk of sounding like we're legalists, right? But that's that's precisely that's almost the opposite of what we're trying to get at here. Right. But really, the issue we're talking about is how do we? What if Wittgenstein is correct, or at least close to correct? Then when we're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to do apologetics. We're trying to wh- whatever share the love of Christ with those around us. Um, which saying it that way gets a lot closer to I think what what it means to actually do apologetics and share the love of Christ. Um, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to convey a value, and values can't be can't necessarily convince someone of a value simply by arguing. Um, so let me give an let me give an example here that that might work. There are things um, that the shared values that we all hold. Now we don't necessarily we shouldn't necessarily hold these in highest regard, but we do share a value of money, right? Money is a value is something that we all share. You might say it's a value that we all share, right? The capacity to that the having something by which you can manipulate the world. Um. And money is that thing, right? You give it to certain people and they do things for you. Uh, they give you stuff and do things for you. Um, if I were trying to convince someone, let's say some kind of antique was valuable, um, my common the common language is that of money. So I might say to them, "Hey, this antique is valuable. You can sell it on the on the market, and you can and it'll it'll sell for." You know, $25,000, this cup will sell for $25,000 or something like that. Um, and, and I'm speaking the language that everyone understands. On the other hand, I may have a cup that is worth 
essentially nothing, but my great grandmother gave it to me, you know, when I was a little kid and I, or my grandmother or something. And I loved her or my mom gave it to my dad gave it to me and, or we made it together when I was a kid and as a piece of junk, but we did it together. And it's one of my fondest memories. And it has this value to me that it has to no one else. Right. Uh, I can't conv- the normal way I would convey value is saying, you know, is money that money is shared, shared language of value. It's just shared value that we have. But here I'm trying to convey something that other people don't have. And so I can't say to him, I can't say to them, Hey, this is worth such and such amount of money. Cause that's missing the point. Now I might say it's worth this much money to me. Right. And I try, I'm trying to translate it into another kind of value. Right. But, but that's, that's, I mean, part of, part of how I show that it's valuable to me is, is how I respond to its use in the world. Right. Right. Uh, somebody goes to throw it in the trash. I'm like, no, 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 no. And they're like, it's a piece of junk. No, it, I mean, yes, it is, but this, it has, it holds a special meaning to me. Um, it seems to me that if we translate everything into monetary value, we start losing our sense of like, what is the value of your child to you? $10,000, a million dollars. And you're like that, you're speaking the wrong language. Right. Um, seems to me that we often try to do this when we're talking about Christianity to people is we try to translate it into the kinds of values that people already hold. Right. But that's, that's so actually uh, I'm reminded that um, Wittgenstein says at one point, you cannot lead people to what is good. You can only lead them to some place or other. The good is outside the space of facts. Hmm. So the idea is you can't, you know, go somewhere and say, see, this proves that this is valuable. This proves that this is good. Rather, it's, it's got to be something beyond just these facts. You know, like we've, we've, we've been talking about the, the facts are not about what, what this is about. It's about um, valuing. Well, as Christian, we would say recognizing the value that's actually in the world, the way it, actually is which is seen through god through through the triune god the way the the triune god values the world and you know as our as other humans are image bearers of of the triune god um that makes us incredibly valuable um as you know the the created world of god is is valuable because it's created by god um all you know the the love of your enemy the the um you know the 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 self-sacrificial love, um, all of these kinds of things that um, are contrary to the way that the world typically works. The mon- like trying to put monetary value on things that's not going to translate. Um, trying to to you know use you know do some other kind of value. It's just not going to translate very well um, because it's it's a different it's an you know actual different language we could say um so what i mean you know you and 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 one of the tricky things i think is that as christians we kind of have our own language game that we play that we don't really understand what we mean i i i i led a bible study years ago and um and i kind of recognized that when you ask someone to define a christian term they tend to use other Christian terms mm-hmm. and then you ask them to define those other Christian terms and they'll use more Christian terms. And suddenly it becomes this big circular definition 
that never really can get outside of itself to where someone who isn't inside the language game already or, or would, would understand what it means. And even people inside the language game don't always understand what it means. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of the way we Christians live, and I I know this is a wide this is a harsh condemnation, but I don't really think our values are much different than the world around us. But we do have another language, but it's almost like that language. If I'm going to cash out the language, it's it seems cash out is kind of a pun there. If I'm trying to cash out the language, it seems to fall into the same sets of values as the world. So why should I follow Christ? Well, if you don't, you're going to get punished. If you do, you're going to get rewarded. That is that. Does that have a gospel? I, I think that gospel? I think that misses the point. Um, I mean, that, that's too strong. That's too strong. It, not that it misses the point, but it, it's looking at the wrong point. Um, you know, it, it's you know what the gospel is, is here is how you were meant to live. This is how you were made to live. This is where you find the fullness of life. And it's not in selfishness, but it's an other centered love. It's in self-sacrificial love. It's in this idea of truly loving your neighbor as yourself of loving the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That, that, that is where, where your fullness will be found. And so we're aiming toward this, and that's why the idea of emphasizing converts, emphasizing the conversion of new people to become new believers is sort of – there's an element where it's right because what you're trying to do is trying to get people on this path of walking with God and ushering in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, it seems like our emphasis on converts is because we're so focused on getting people out of – being punished and getting people into getting rewarded, um, which again, it's it's sort of admirable, but it's it's the values off. The goal is to get people to not go to hell and to get them to go to heaven. Our goal isn't to get people to love one another. You see what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I'm saying, I'm saying it's not completely wrong. It's just it's like it's like we've got the you know as they say the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? right. It's you got sort of the right words. You get the right ideas. It's not that these doctrines are false. It's that it's that we're we've leaned so hard one way that we're kind of all out of balance. And this is part of the reason, perhaps, why. I mean, there's different levels here, and I know that we, without going, you know, two and a half hours, we probably couldn't get through all the nuance of this because, in some sense, which Christians are playing a different language game, and we should look really weird to the world, right? Yes, it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block, right? That goes all the way back to, to Paul, um, all the way back to – really all the way back to Abraham. Um, it's foolishness and a stumbling block to the world around us. But uh, on the other hand, it's as if a lot of people I think look at Christianity and say – and would, if you really press them, they would say they're really not any different than us. They get up on Sundays. They give a little money to the church. They don't cuss as much. They don't drink as much. They don't smoke as much. They don't whatever as much. But basically, they hold the same values, right? I mean, what's the goal of every Christian? Vacation, retirement, having a nice house, having a nice car, being respected by the world, getting our political, our favorite political groups <laughs> in power, making those political groups to do 
make the other side do what we want them to do. Um, basically, it's power and money, but we just do a little less of it, right? We we don't we also tithe our money. We don't just put it away. But most rich people give money to charity, um, uh, and we're also focusing and, and we give up our Sunday mornings, maybe Wednesday night too. And I'm not again. I'm not saying that we're that everyone's insincere. I'm just saying that we live. It's almost like we're, we're telling the world we have the exact same values as you, but then we have these facts that aren't supported by a, va- a shift in our values. So we believe in the material world. You know, I we live in a material world and we're all material people. As, uh, is that Cindy Lauper or Madonna? I always get them confused. I have a thing um, of Madonna. Okay, I should know that because I had a major crush on her when I was young. Um, uh, don't hate me. So... Uh, but uh, so we live in a material world. We live material lives with the recognition that there's going to be something afterwards. And and the and the people look at us and they realize your values are almost the same. There's a little, there's a slight shift difference. Your values are almost the same as ours, except you believe in this fantasy land, right? That's what they would say. And so you're giving up a little bit now so you can get more later. But it's the same thing. It's the same self-focused, avoiding pain getting rewards as much as you can. But if you look at Christ, he says, pick up your cross and follow him. You know, Mm -hmm. and arguably the the crucifixion was an enthronement ceremony. Um, The self-giving, that's what N.T. Wright says, and don't hate me for liking N.T. Wright too. But but, uh, you, you look at the centerpiece of the gospel and it's Christ crucified. You look at the centerpiece of the lives of, of his immediate followers and almost all of them died mm-hmm. were killed, killed, exiled, beaten, reviled, hated, rejected. Um, they, people looked at them like they were crazy yeah. in a lot of ways. And that's when the church grew like crazy, right? Yeah. Because people, people are desperately looking now for something of meaning, mm-hmm. something of depth. And it seems like Christians, we, we take worldly life and we just shave off a little bit of the worst parts, but basically our values are the same. So what would it look like? And maybe we maybe we're beating a dead horse here, but what does it look, what would it look like for someone to have truly Christian values? And you mentioned self-giving love, self-sacrifice. These are all painful words. Yes. Any fun ones that we might have? No. Well, but what, let, what me, like? let me say that, you know, in in the Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard talks about how kind of our lives are to be uh, recognized with by joy in our lives. Um, you know, the fruit of the spirit. You know, these are things that that are are supposed to be parts of our lives, and it's not that. And and our our tendency is we look at the fruit of the spirit and we, and and instead of treating them as things that we can continue to grow in we kind of well let me not let me just put the put the uh, focus on myself here I find that I tend to kind of pause and look around and say well do I have that fruit of the spirit a little more than the other people I see <laughs> I, I think so so I'm good 
But right. that's not what the fruit of the Spirit's supposed to be about. We're to continue to grow in these things, that, that these are to characterize our lives, not just in comparison to those around us, but but in in, in just the way we live. They are to be how we how we live, what we, what our lives are supposed to look like. Um, that's going, that's, that's the challenge, but it's also the easy yoke according to Jesus. Right. So, well, and so maybe, maybe one of the things that we're missing now, obviously with the advent of social media, it's very hard to do this anyway. And all the anonymity that the internet gives us, but, one of the things, one of the primary things we're missing in the church is for people to experience the love that we have. And I'm, and not, or maybe we're not having love. I mean, that's what I mean. But the, the love that we're called to, or the fruit of the spirit that we're called to as a whole, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on and so forth. Um, are, are you, are we saying that apologetics arguments don't matter? Because apologetic arguments, all they do is convince people to have beliefs about religion, while the only thing or things that can convince someone that Christianity is true and therefore to develop, not that it's true necessarily, but to commit themselves to it, which implies that it's true, obviously. The only thing that can call someone to have take on religious belief, that is to have faith, is to is – to, show love not arguments at all well i don't want to say that there's no point in the arguments because i think the arguments can um can give a sense of of um stability and and um to to the beliefs that that we're not just uh making things up on the fly um you know the um but it, it we have to be careful not to push religious belief into the um camp that everything must be a rationally held belief or else it it doesn't count um and this is something wittgenstein says in comparison with science because he he talks about you know science is all about the laws of reason and it has to be everything that can be said has to be stated in a way that's reasonable and he basically says that religious belief isn't irrational, but it's not rational either in the way science is. It, it When you ask the question of, is religious belief rational, in a sense, you're kind of saying, is green triangular? Where initially it might sound like, yeah, there there's might be something to that question, but then you start to think about it more and it's like, what? no, no you're, you're applying the wrong categories here. So it, it, it's not that it's not that we should strive for our faith to look irrational, that, but that it's that when it's almost like rationality isn't the focus of what Christian belief is about. In the same way, you know, is similarly, it's like you wouldn't look at a painting and say, "Is that rational?" Well, actually, I do know some people who do aesthetics <laughs> in that way, and it's very disturbing. But the the Christian belief is it supposed to be focused on the rationality aspect of it? It's focused on the, what does this mean for your life? How does, how, how do you live your life differently? What, what are you valuing? Um, 
And now we wouldn't we wouldn't say it's irrational. No, but probably that it's more than rational. Um. Yes. It, and and in some ways it's going to look incredibly rational, and in other ways it's it might look irrational. But trying to apply that category is just the wrong category to. Yeah. I feel, I feel like in some ways some people will split lives in between uh, split our lives into the emotional and the rational and yet that's right that's an improper division yes in one sense it's almost like we could say okay let's say we can so we split them between the emotional and the rational but when you put them together you get something that's more than the parts now that's granting that you can split it but I think let's say there is the emotional or the desirous or whatever whatever we might say. And then the rational. But when you put them together, it's not like, well, now you have rational and, and desire or emotion or something mixed. Desire, maybe rational and passion. You have those mixed. But you have something is something more than that. So is my relationship with my wife rational or passionate and emotional? Yes. Well, it, it yeah, it better not be just one or the other. And it better be more than them just added together. Right. You know what I mean? Be, be, um, I mean, because the... The because you love your wife, because you're you're married to your wife, it changes the way you you reason about the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you might have taken that differently than I intended it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it yeah it does, and and it begins to transform not only my view of the world, or maybe this is what we're saying, it transforms my view of myself. That, in in yeah. ways that are beyond even what I recognize. Like there's only times like when her mother was dying, she would leave for a week at a time with the kids. And I realized there was like, I felt like a chunk had been torn out of me. And I never noticed this when she was there. It's just when she left, I realized, I mean, I, it almost, I mean, it sounds a little dramatic maybe, but it almost created an identity crisis within me for a moment. I was, I felt like I was wondering aimlessly instead of wondering toward wisdom. And so, <laughs> Um, uh, was that irrational? Was it emotional? Was it straight up rational or was it something else? I think it was, it's almost what comes before all that mm -hmm. value, you might say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it is, it's one of those things that the way that you, you communicate that is. By appealing, I mean, right now, what you just did is you told a story, and that story is, you know, the people who get what you said, it's going to connect with something, one of their experiences as well, such that they're going to recognize the parallel experiences, even though they're two different things. You know, we're not saying that they had the same experience, but they recognize, you know, I, 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 I've had something kind of like that that I can sort of connect to and can sort of draw my parallel um experiences with and that's where I, I see the meaning of what you're saying so i think you just explained why the bible is full of so many stories and we think we try to boil it down to theology to a systematic theology and in so doing we might be losing the very heart of what scripture is about but that's for another podcast maybe. yes yes another <laughs> podcast um so this, you know, and, and like I said, you know, the story itself didn't, isn't the, the whole of it, but a story allows you to start to, it starts to show you what's going on. 
right. um, it starts to show how things are different. And I think that's how, you know, what Wittgenstein's getting at is that for Christians to show their the value, to show what their religious belief is about, um, is going to look different. It's going to... Um, it's going to to show up in the way they live their lives such that it's not going to be something that you can uh, stop and point to it and be like, see what I do? Isn't this wonderful? Um, but rather, it's going to be just something in the way you naturally live. It's going to be different. It's going to, um, it's going to, to show them that there's more going on to what you're saying. And, and we, we can't just rely on our language for that um, because we can use the same word and use it in, in two different ways, thinking that we're talking about the same thing. And in reality, we're talking about two, uh, two different things. And so um, it's going to come down to how do we live our lives? It's going to look um, a certain way. Um, and that's going to, um, communicate the meaning. And, and at the end of the day, it's not up to us to make people change their minds. Um, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. Right. And that, that idea of the meaning too is really good because this, and this goes back to the Christian language where we, we use these terms like faith, love, salvation, hope, peace, joy, all these kind of terms. And those terms just mean what other, whatever people have experienced Right in the world, you know. I mean, people are always talking about saying God is. We call God Father, but what about people who have had bad experiences with the with their fathers? Right, um, like my kids have. Um, <laughs> well, uh, what you do is you have to you have to show what we mean by Father, and then that word takes on a new meaning. Right, and I think that's a big part of communicating of communicating. I think oftentimes, if you maybe not oftentimes. I think if people can see the beauty of something, you shouldn't have to argue for it. Right. Um, if they can see the goodness and the richness and the depth of it, you don't need to argue for it. Um, maybe that's one of the things that needs to uh, apologetics and really just the, the church's engagement with the world. We need to, I think a lot of people do this intuitively, um, but recognize that there's a, there's something important here. Uh, in, in the element of just sharing the goodness and the wonder and the beauty of God, which we hope this podcast is encouraging others to experience. Yes. So now, to to wrap this up, I want to return to that quote that I started the previous podcast with, right. where Wittgenstein says, "If Christianity is true, then all the philosophy written about it is false." So, uh, Wittgenstein is a little. Um, is is prone to a little exaggeration sometimes. And so when, when he says false, I, I, I think maybe a better way to think of it might be um, meaningless in this sense. So philosophy is about trying to um, structure the, the world into logical arguments. Um, typically, at least the philosophy that he was engaging with is, is about trying to structure the world into logical arguments and focusing on, the logical, the logic that's involved in what is said clearly uh, in the in the statements and in the arguments, and um, Wittgenstein saying, if that's what 
what we're what we're trying to talk how we're trying to talk about Christianity, that's just not going to work if Christianity is actually true. Right. That it can Christianity cannot be reduced down to these these logical arguments. It's not that these logical arguments um, are completely unconnected, but but that cannot be the heart of what one's Christianity is about. One's Christianity is going to be about relationship, about relationship with Christ, uh, with, with relationship with the triune God through Christ, um, with, with the way that we see the world and value what's in the world as we're influenced by that relationship. Right. And as I think a lot of people try to say that they're saying something like that when they say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, which my response is normally, and it's a religion. Um, but, uh, <laughs> which that's another is, podcast. Yeah. But, but it does show, I mean, the part of what he's saying, part of what Wittgenstein is saying is that there's something unique about Christianity. Yeah. And that's part of the beauty of this. It's the reason why it can't simply be argued to is because Christianity, the God we worship is not like other gods. Right. Um, God, our God is, is unique. Uh, this religion is unique and, uh, this relationship is unique on that note. Thank you so much, uh, for joining us. Um, and, uh, I think our next podcast, we're going to be doing sort of review of all the stuff we've been talking about where, where we've come from and uh, maybe where we're going to head to next. Thank you for joining us with this uh, discussion of Wittgenstein. Uh, I am Travis. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.